asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. In recent weeks, we've really focused on some ways that listeners can boost their income. Uh, so whether that's through starting your own side business and growing your network like Hala talked about, or when we talked with local realtor Alan about diving into investing in real estate, well, what better way to test the waters? While you are away, your home could also earn extra income. That's right. Your empty space could be an Airbnb while you're traveling, because that's all you need to become an Airbnb host. It's a lot easier than you think, and you don't need to Airbnb your entire house. You could just host your extra spare room. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives. But those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Cards issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to How to Money. I'm Joel. And I am Matt. And today we're asking the question, how complicated should investing be? So speaking of investing, did you realize, I didn't realize this until recently, until a couple weeks ago, but we just exited the longest bear market since 1948. Oh, wow. Isn't that crazy? That is crazy to think about. So it here's, didn't feel that long, ultimately. It really did. And this is, so the reason I bring this up is because I love the fact that we didn't even really notice that. And hopefully listeners didn't notice that either because they were just continuing to invest like clockwork, continuing to plug money into the market. But oftentimes folks aren't doing that because they are overcomplicating things. They're making it a little too complex. It's keeping them from their financial goals. And uh, so we're going to try to make sure that does not happen from here on out if you're listening to this podcast. Yeah. And there's a couple things I think that might make sense to complicate a little bit on the investing front, but how complex you get and what you, you know, what you choose to invest. And we're going to talk about a bunch of different ways you can complicate things and maybe it's good. And then other ways in which you can overdo it. So that's yeah, the, that you should completely avoid. <laughs> that's the theme of this, of this combo on this episode. What's but, this? Uh, you wanted to talk about getting beers last night or something. Okay. So we got beers with a friend last night uh-huh. and there's free parking all around where uh, ah. we hang, <laughs> but there's also a paid parking lot when all the free really, parking's taken. Really close to this particular establishment. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I was driving from across town and there were no, I couldn't find a free parking spot. And I didn't want to be a jerk and be, and be late uh, when, when we'd had this hang plan for a little while. Mm-hmm. So 
I paid five bucks for parking and I hate Ooh. that. There's like not much I hate more than that. <laughs> and, uh, and so, but then we were walking to the car after, after hanging out and he pointed out a couple of free spots I didn't know about. He was like, these are the, this is the low hanging fruit. No one's ever oh, in yeah. these spots. So hopefully I'll never have to do it again. Okay. So I got a couple of follow-ups and how, okay. So when you were meeting up, yeah, like with a friend for beers, how late is too late? Because there's like a certain amount of window, unless like you're it's a business meeting and like you're meeting a client obviously yeah. if you're if you're on time you're late like basically you need to get there early but when it comes to like friend hangs what's your window of time do, I don't know. do you think i'd be in past 10 minutes late feels just oh yeah rude okay yeah, yeah. i totally, uh, I, I totally if agree. you're like 3 to 5 minutes late it's it's probably not that big 3 deal. to 5 which is why cuz i saw you walking into the the place last night and i was like oh crap do, do i need to go ahead and pay for parking as well and it was it was like 4 or 5 minutes after and so i was like all right i'm going to circle you circled the block. <laughs> I circled again. the block one more time, and uh, okay, so I was so you curious. found a free spot. Found I, a free spot. Yeah. I paid like an idiot. So okay, what are your thoughts on how do you feel about questionable parking spots? Like spots that obviously, if something is marked and it says no parking, I don't. You're not going to park there. There's a good chance you might get towed. Whatever, make somebody upset. But I guess I mentioned this because I feel like for years I have parked in spots that are like, oh, I'm not totally <laughs> sure this is a legit spot. It doesn't say no parking it's not right in front of a fire hydrant there's no red curb that kind of thing and i can't remember the last time i got a parking ticket yeah. it's a you got to know what you're risking right and yeah, well, exactly i think it's, i talked about a risk this i'm willing to take a couple years ago when i was meeting a friend down by the airport he was in town for a second we grabbed beers and i parked in i think where like they uh the the valet would park cars uh, but it was raining yeah. super hard there was nobody out <laughs> there and there were plenty of spots and so i risked it and i didn't get a ticket which was great but i also knew I might get a ticket or yeah. somebody might say well, something to me. Did you, had you said something to the valet? Was there, wasn't there like a valet there? And you're like, hey, is, or is this a I don't think so. I don't think there was anybody instance. there, oh, which is okay. why I was like, all right, I'm just going to give it a shot. But uh, yeah, so <laughs> well, paying for parking is a pet peeve of mine every once in you a gotta while. Know, you got to know what you're willing to risk. Yeah. All right. Let's mention the beer we're having on this episode. This one's called Symptom of Progeny. It's a golden sour uh, ale that you picked up, Matt, at oh, Burial. So not only did I pick one up for us, I actually picked up three additional bottles for Kate and I because we had this at the brewery and we we liked it that much Um, at the time I was thinking this is a perfect barrel aged golden ale so I'm looking forward to sharing it with you today same here all right well let's uh, get to the subject at hand Matt we're talking about how complicated investing should be and it just made me think back when we were renovating our home before we made the move to the burbs and i'd never really done that massive of a a renovation and it was kind of fun to pick out specific finishes for all the stuff we were doing like the Mm -hmm. tile the oh yeah the tile in particular was top notch it was cool i really liked it it. (laughs) and it was just it was a fun endeavor up until a point (laughs) and then it started it started to kind of get old after a while right there there were endless options of everything and even picking out that tile it it took a lot of searching and looking to find Mm -hmm. the exact kind that we wanted and so at a a certain point in the process i kind of got decision fatigue right uh discussing paint colors and toilets even which who, who knew that you could really go down a rabbit hole of toilets but yes you can especially these days online there's so many so many different uh, toilets you could you could get and at some point you just stop caring which toilet suits your vibe the best right it, it, investment mm-hmm. choices i think can be similar to that kind of process of when you're renovating and all the choices you have the choice overload there's so many directions you can go in on the investing front all sorts of options that you can consider and I do think it, for some things in life, more can be merrier, right? But it can also backfire. And things that 
could be fun or could be uh, energizing, ways in which more choice can be beneficial, well, it's possible for it to go too far, especially especially when we're talking about building wealth. And and so we would we would say, and something we talk about on the show regularly, is that complicating things doesn't always make them better. And in fact, the opposite is typically true, and, and especially on the investing front. That's right. Yeah. So you, you even said the term decision fatigue, and that's when basically you are spending an inordinate amount of time trying to decide which of the many, many options you have available to you is going to suit you best. And when it comes to investing specifically, there are so many options, so many distractions that can keep us from investing the way that we should with the vast majority of our money. And, you know, when there is that much noise, which is often coming from the talking heads in financial media, it is no wonder that we start thinking, like we start asking ourselves, well, maybe I should be investing internationally, right? Like uh, I should probably diversify more. I need some value stocks in my portfolio. Why not invest in wine and art as well? Uh, I've heard that the returns on ESG funds they're pretty solid. So maybe that's the direction I should be going. Uh, But many of those questions and considerations, they don't actually help all that much. And in fact, they end up distracting us from from doing what it is that we should be doing. But uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that we should just bury bury our heads in the sand. Uh, We think it is important to know what the other options out there are, and then why it is that we should either consider them or ignore them altogether. That's part of the reason we like Aldi, Matt, is because there's just fewer things, fewer choices, right, at your disposal. There's like one ketchup. And so you just get the ketchup as you're walking by. And the simplicity... I don't even know what it is. Is it Bourbon's? Is I think that the, so. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's right. The Aldi lines. Yeah. And it's just nice to know, okay, cool. I need ketchup and I don't have to look at the price per ounce and different uh, brand names and which one's on sale right now. You just grab the ketchup mm-hmm. and it's so easy. So I think, yeah, we could stand to have a little more like Aldi in the way we think about <laughs> investing. And part of the reason we're talking about this today is because when market conditions are good, there's even more of an inclination to shake things up, to start overthinking things. And you mentioned, hey, guess what? Now we've we've ended that longest bear run and we're in a bull market right now. When, when we are in that bear market, though, when things are going badly, uh, when the stock market is performing poorly, nobody wants to discuss smart investing methods. Everyone's just kind of like covering yep. their head. They're grinning and bearing it. The assumption is that the market is going to continue to drop. And so why would you start investing if things are going to continue uh, along the same path? Yeah. But then again, when, when things start going gangbusters, everybody's got an opinion, right? And so now that we are officially in this bull market, we're up 20% from from those lows. We're seeing certain stocks popping in a big way. And I think more people are, are more inclined to start fiddling with their portfolio. It, it holds a greater allure right now when things are going up, up and to the right. And the boring index fund route, it, it seems more intelligent, I think, when the market is going down. But on the way up, it just it feels kind of like you should be making moves to amplify those gains, right? Why say, why settle for average when uh, certain things are, are popping off to greater degrees? But just because it's more exciting or just because it's more enticing, that doesn't mean it's the direction you should be heading in. That's right. Yeah. And also, we're, we're not just talking about the, uh, you know, that part of your portfolio that you want to speculate with, that uh, 5% or less that you'll hear us mention here on the show as a pressure relief valve. Now, we still think that this is a good rule of thumb, a good thing to, to maintain. And for a lot of folks who do like to tinker, I think having a negligible amount of money that you can trade just for funsies helps them to stay the course and to keep doing the boring old standard bland thing with the bulk (laughs) of their investment dollars. So eat your heart out with that small percentage of play investment dollars. Go to town. Do the the funkiest things you can think of. The money, though, that you're willing to completely lose. Right. Uh, But what we're talking about today is the other 95% of your portfolio, a, a few 
specific temptations and then why it is that most of them should probably be avoided. Yeah. It's not that we have a problem with folks getting a little wild and a little speculative. It's it's just that you... Like 5% wild. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you just can't let it infect all the other areas uh, that you're trying to do the boring, proven method of mm-hmm. building wealth, right? And so totally. if you let it get out of hand, I feel like it can it can kind of tank the the majority of what your of your assets that are going to be doing just the standard normal thing which is investing in total overall stock market kind of thing right and we're also we're we're not going to focus too much on timing today right whether now is a good time to start investing if you haven't already because for most people dollar cost averaging is the best approach right uh, sticking your money into your 401k your IRA or your HSA your health savings account which we always talk about as being an awesome in investment vehicle. Most people don't think of it that way. We talked about it on Monday. Yeah, I feel but, like we've been hitting it more lately. Which yeah, is, we, yeah, it's a good thing. It is because people need to know that. And, and and if you're investing in each of those vehicles like clockwork every time you get paid without giving it a second thought, this is the best way to go, right? And so when it comes to to timing, it's not something that we're fans of. And in fact, it's really easy to screw that up and actually shoot yourself in the foot as you're trying to yeah, time your entrance into the market in a given month or year. But the, this strategy, the dollar cost averaging strategy, it works because you're able to remove your emotions from the equation and our emotions can get the best of us. But that being said, if you really want to optimize for the highest returns, the, the data show that lump sum investing at the beginning of the year or as soon as you're able to fund a retirement account is the way to go. And I guess the reason we talk about dollar cost averaging is and, and not lump sum is just because that's how most people get paid. That's the way it makes most sense. But most folks aren't sitting on like a massive a pile. chunk of money. Like, when should I deploy this? You know, uh, and but if you if you are if you do have the money in January to fully fund your Roth IRA or something like that, go for it. Go to town. That's a better thing to do than do the doing the dollar cost averaging approach. It's just that specifically with something like a four hundred one k, it it makes sense to deploy it every single paycheck. Mm-hmm. Uh, so really, what, the timing that we're talking about is the sooner the better, and the more regular the better too. Yeah, and I, I mean I do think it's worth maybe trying to work towards that lump sum investing kind of mindset if you're able to slowly over time over the years kind of get ahead of it right so as opposed to you get paid you invest a portion of that but stocking like stockpiling that ahead time so if you're able to max that out make that payment that year but then slowly over time you build up essentially like a little war chest so that when the new year does hit and you are able to invest in those retirement accounts for the Mm -hmm. next year uh, the ability to make that happen sooner rather than later it does over the long haul return you higher returns but then uh, when it comes to the actual securities or the actual investments that we're making there's also a lot of nuance involved some things are going to be more negotiable than others and some of the things we're going to mention today might actually be worth considering so we'll talk about some of those alongside some ways that folks are tempted to invest their money right now that we think are going to be a distraction at best, but it actually could be damaging your future returns at worst. Yeah. And it, it feels like we have more investment options at our disposal than ever before. So it's like the opposite of Aldi, like I was talking about, Matt. Now it's just like plethora, this range, and not, not just inside of our 401k, but then even all of these exterior alternative investment possibilities that we could partake in that we're getting pitched right and left in different places, whether it's a newsletter that you read or whether it's commercials that you see or social media advertisements. Yeah, we're for, just, just talking with friends. I feel like it's a yeah. conversation I have more often as I've gotten older. Folks and rightly so, are more interested in investing 
But just because folks are talking about it doesn't mean that it's something that you that you should be considering yeah. because yeah. But it, it's all enticing and it's like yeah, yeah. Uh, it, 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 my, your eyes can get as wide as saucers. You're like, wait, I can invest in that or this or that. That's amazing. But then you, I think a lot of people lose the plot if they start to go down that rabbit hole and maybe they miss out on the main course. So yeah, That's let's right. let's talk about some of those added investing complications. When to say yes, when to say no. We'll get to more on that right after this. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. That's why you listen to this podcast. And if you're looking to upgrade your wallet, you need to turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. If you're paying for vacations with whatever card is in your wallet, you could be missing out on miles you didn't even know you were leaving on the table. You can get a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade, lounge access... Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. And now a word from the show's sponsors at Betterment. Do you want your money to dream big? Do you want your money to be a total self-starter? Are you annoyed that your money doesn't work hard enough? Don't worry. Betterment is here to help. Betterment is the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Their automated technology is built to help maximize returns, meaning when you invest with Betterment, your money can auto-adjust as you get closer to your goal. Rebalance if your portfolio gets too far out of line and your dividends are automatically reinvested. That can increase the potential for compound returns. In other words, your money is breaking a sweat while you can be breaking bread. You'll never picture your money the same way again. Betterment, the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Visit Betterment.com to get started. Investing involves risk. Performance is not guaranteed. Spring cleaning is kind of a, an annual rite of passage. We've all got to do it, minimize the junk that we have in our house. Emily and I, we just cleaned our closets out. It took hours, but it was so worth it. Now we've only got stuff in there that we love, and it's easier to find everything too. And so, you know, while cleaning your closets is helpful, well, there's something else you can do for your family this spring. Shopping for life insurance with Policy Genius, for example, is a really important part of your financial planning for the year. That's right. Yeah. And here is the thing that's important to remember, because you might be thinking you don't need to check out Policy Genius because you've got a policy through work. But even if you have a life insurance policy through your job, it may not offer you enough protection for your family's needs and it may not follow you if you leave your job. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Policy Genius works for you, not the insurance companies, and that means they don't have an incentive to recommend one insurer over another, so you can trust their guidance. Save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. All right, we are back and we're talking about the many different forms that investing can take. And we're going to kick this off with international stocks because. This is one I feel like it's kind of gained some steam lately. Uh, Joel, neither you nor I have much exposure to international stocks ourselves. And we actually feel pretty good about <laughs> our decision. But there are a lot of smart folks out there who have a different take. Um, and again, yeah, it's a, it's a topic worth discussing because we get the question from listeners sometimes as well. 
but Jack Bogle, he's the founder of Vanguard. He's a pretty brilliant dude. Passed away, what, a year or two ago? Yeah, went, went all that long ago. But he was famously not a big fan of international diversification uh, for a number of reasons. And, and the truth is, so many of the companies that you own in either uh, a total stock market index fund or an S&P 500 index fund, they do business overseas. Uh, and that was honestly, that was Bogle's main argument. Something like 40% of S&P 500 revenues come from other countries, come mm -hmm. from overseas. And so folks who have diversified to more international holdings, they, they haven't done as well. But of course, past results are not indicative of future returns. Yeah. And so we're not saying that like, oh yeah, things, you should only be investing in US companies. This isn't like a, even though we love America for many reasons, <laughs> we, we think that our country is a very fertile ground when it comes to starting new industries and the ability for companies to, to get ahead. That doesn't necessarily mean that over the long haul that international stocks may not do better sure. than the total U.S. stock market. Yeah, well, and the truth is, our country is really only 4% of the world's population, but we have our stock market, the, the global wealth is something close to a quarter of it. So, um, and it turns out that when you look at the numbers, international stocks are relatively inexpensive these days, which is part of the reason you, you're probably seeing more headlines about them. In front of the show, Ben Carlson, Matt, who's just a brilliant mind, I love reading his blog, he recently articulated his views on, on why folks should have more international stock exposure, and he said... Global diversification is about accepting good enough returns to avoid the potential for terrible returns at an inopportune time. And I think it's a really good way of thinking about it. You're not necessarily, if you do choose to invest internationally, doing it because you're looking for outsized mega returns or anything like that. And you, you might see better returns over the next decade. Who knows? But uh, yeah, it, I think investing internationally, it's not a necessity. But given the outperformance that the U.S. stock market has seen recently in, in the past decade plus, international stocks do look cheaper and more attractive right now. This is one of those things where I think you can complicate your life a little bit and add international stocks to your portfolio, but it's also not a have to. Yeah, I think Ben's argument is it's more from like a wealth preservation standpoint as opposed to him saying that like, oh, things are going to be gangbusters overseas yeah. in, the, in the coming decades. And some folks would point to Japan, whose stock market was... Rocking and rolling in the 1980s, and I think finally just got back to 1980 levels, like in yeah, recent weeks. So like multiple decades. Yeah, so like lost <laughs> decades, really, which you know could happen if you're too heavy into one country. Yeah, but so so even if you do want some international exposure, don't go overboard, uh, and and don't make massive changes quickly, like all at once. I would consider keeping your portfolio as it is, keep it intact, but then start investing any new dollars into either target date funds or into another international fund like Vanguard's Total World Market Fund. Uh, the ticker symbol for that one is VT. And what's great about those too, well, especially Vanguard's, the costs are so incredibly low. Uh -huh. uh, you, that's one of the things you get with Vanguard. You get that international, so, international exposure, but you're barely paying more than what you pay for yeah, just an S&P 500 index fund. It is a little bit more on the target date funds, but they're... I think it's fair because you are getting an added benefit with those target date funds as it's changing its allocation over the years. Mm -hmm. And this is... And it truly is the most set it and forget it approach. Yeah, well, exactly. Because, I mean, I don't know if we were planning even to talk about bonds, but a big part of that too is it changes how much of its holdings are in bonds because when you're looking really, really far out, like bonds are more conservative. And so they're there oftentimes as a hedge to stocks. But then, especially with the target date funds that are that we're quickly approaching, say like a 2030 fund, you're going to see a much higher percentage of the allotment of the portfolio towards bonds. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean, though, that you should be going out and also buying a bond index fund, because yeah. especially if you are 
earlier on in the wealth building stage of your investing life, you can afford, you can handle to weather out those, the volatility, those storms, yeah. those ups and downs. And in fact, you can't afford to not be investing in actual stocks over the long haul. The closer you get to retirement, yeah, maybe you do want to de-risk a little bit and see more consistent returns. But you just need to know that those returns are going to be slightly less than if it was fully in stocks. But it's going to smooth out the bumps, which yeah. especially as you're getting closer to withdrawing those funds, you want those bumps to be smoothed out because it's going to be really disheartening and potentially uh, destroying to your your lifestyle if you're you you're let's say your portfolio declined twenty percent or something in a year. You had a twenty twenty two style year as you are leaving employment. That's a tough pill to swallow. But let's, let's talk about another thing, Matt, that can complicate people's portfolios, and that's investing in a socially responsible way, opting for ESG funds, which is becoming more and more popular. We're seeing a lot of people kind of start to sock more of their, their money into these kinds of funds. Mm-hmm. and there's ES- ESG stands for environmental, social, and governance. Yeah. So the way a company is run. Yeah. And there's just a lot more interest now in these funds. And, uh, and, and there's kind of a push to get people to, to stick their money into these funds, which claim to be investing in ways that are you know, better for the environment and for other social reasons. But our take really is that ESG is largely in the eye of the beholder. And you can't make this up, Matt, but something I saw last week, uh, Philip Morris, which is the company... They make cigarettes that mm-hmm. have killed so many people, <laughs> millions of people. They're scoring higher in the ESG ratings than Tesla, like significantly higher. Yay, and ESG. I know. And so it's just like, what in the world is ESG trying to accomplish? Exactly. And uh, similar thing, right? Companies who are hijacking our attention, they're making products mm-hmm. with slave labor overseas. Like many of those companies are also ESG darlings. They score well on these ESG fronts. So I think the lack of definability is a massive problem on the ESG front. And it, it, it's been sold as this way to do good with your investment dollars. But that's not necessarily the way it shakes out in reality. Yeah. And ESG funds, they actually, so they not only perform more poorly in a financial sense, offering worse returns to investors, which is the main goal of investing, but they're also actually worse on these ESG metrics than what it is these funds say that they're trying to achieve. This is according to research out of Columbia University. We'll link to that in the show notes. Uh, But there are other studies as well that have come to similar conclusions. Opting for these ESG funds, it's not (laughs) doing anything much for the environment or to change corporate governance. Uh, And these these funds, again, you know, they're, they're, they perform more poorly because they come with higher fees oftentimes, uh, not to mention worse results. So for a while there, it seemed like ESG funds were actually performing better. And it's just like, all right, if that's the direction you want to go based on past performance, but we're actually seeing that shift recently. But all of those things are eating into your returns significantly over time. And we think that most, most folks should actually avoid some of these newer ESG funds and instead stick to traditional index funds. It's so difficult to define what it is that these different ESG funds are trying to achieve. So much of it, it's not objective, it's subjective. And so again, for you as an individual, you might hold different values than what it is that Meta is trying to accomplish or Microsoft or, or, yeah. or any company, regardless of where they are on the, the ESG scale. And it's my subjective view that electric cars are better than cigarettes for people over time. <laughs> so I'm just, it's, I'm curious. I don't really know how, or it feels like there's like the Wizard of Oz making these decisions about behind some sort of curtain about which of these companies qualify for their funds and which ones don't. And until we get more clarity on that, and until, I don't know, it seems like the, the funds that actually actually, the companies that actually get included in some of those funds 
are companies that are doing more good than I, and even then it might not be in in people's best uh, interest as investors. from a financial standpoint from a financial yeah standpoint. like they, they might be checking all the boxes from a from an ESG standpoint like maybe Philip Morris doesn't get to did they not change their name to Atria or whatever oh or that might be true yeah. maybe I don't know uh, but regardless I would say good for them because somehow they were able to kind of greenwash their way yeah. <laughs> onto some you know one of these funds and unfortunately that's what it seems like a lot of these companies are trying to do yeah so when we're talking about complicating your investments. There's some things that might be worth it. Maybe you're saying, oh, the international stocks thing, that makes sense. And over time, I do think I want a little more exposure there. But on the ESG front, I don't think there's really any reason to complicate things further and basically sign yourself up for higher fees by stocking more of your money into these ESG style index funds. And let's talk about something else that people might do to complicate their investing strategy. And that would be to incorporate more real estate into their investing plan. And that's certainly a more complicated form of investing that, that you know we get asked about fairly regularly, especially because you and I, we are real estate investors. We're mom mm-hmm. and pop real estate investors. We each own a handful of properties in the Atlanta area. And the thing is, we're kind of mostly talking about the passive style investing on this episode. And you and I, we think of real estate investing as more like taking on a part-time job because it kind of is. <laughs> uh, That's right. Not only in the identifying and purchasing of that property, but in the, the managing of that property too. And so if you're not up for that, if you're not up for all of the extra work that it's going to take to own and manage that rental property, the fixes, the the calls that you're going to have to get from the tenant, the, the, the things you're going to have to do to keep up with that property, you should avoid becoming a landlord. And you know, like I said, this episode, we're mostly talking about the simple forms of investing that most people are doing with every paycheck. So uh, buying real estate is just this other ball of wax altogether. It's not a bad one. It's not something we would necessarily steer people away from. And in fact, we've done episodes in the past. We'll link to one or two in the show notes if you want about investing in real estate and how it can be a powerful wealth builder. We're happy real estate investors ourselves. But the truth is, there are other more passive ways to invest in real estate besides buying a duplex down the street in the town where you live or whatever. And and so if you do want to add real estate exposure to your investments and you don't want to go with the part-time job route, Matt, do you want to talk about maybe kind of some other ways to do that? You can do that by investing in REITs. So that's how you say it, but it stands for Real Estate Investment Trusts. Uh, And so there are there public REITs, there are private REITs. And so we're not completely against the private ones, but they do come with higher fees and less liquidity. Oftentimes your money's locked up for years at a time. So because of that, we avoid them ourselves. But even publicly traded REITs, they're kind of cool. They can give you some diverse exposure to real estate that you can easily dollar cost average into. You don't have to plunk down a large amount of cash, like $25,000 is, is oftentimes sort of like the, the minimum amount required to go into some of these private REITs. During like a cocktail hang or something, you can tell people, oh, I own an apartment building in New York City, or I own this or that, because you have like this small, infinitesimal <laughs> small sliver but you do. of investment in that project. It's like, yeah, yeah I, I own some of Tesla, <laughs> because I own right. VU. Yeah. Uh, but some of the other REIT funds, like uh, Vanguard's VNQ, they are attractive because they're incredibly low cost, but still, even still, most folks, they don't need real estate exposure uh, because the average American homeowner, they have most of their net worth tied up in their home, in their primary residence. And guess what? Last I checked, that's real estate. (laughs) So we would rather see that kind of person more focused on investing within stocks via index funds. And even if you don't own your own home and you're like, well, maybe I should be investing within a REIT. I don't own my, my my own property. REITs, they actually make up about 5% of the total stock market. And so, guess what? If you own a total stock market index fund, you're probably invested in, in a REIT. 
but boom, you just didn't even realize it. Yeah, you have you, <laughs> you have, own real estate. You didn't know it. Yet, that's though. right. Even if you're even if you're a renter, <laughs> you own yes. some real estate via your your other investments. And Matt, we hung out with somebody recently and he was asking about investing in, in real estate or you know, passive income. And of course, we try to dispel the myth that passive income is super easy to come by. But we even told it, yeah, hey, investing in real estate might make sense for you. And we try to go through all the, the nitty gritty and all the details. But it's a harder thing for most people to accomplish. You have to save up a ton of money and the numbers don't always make sense. And they make sense a lot less in today's environment than they have mm-hmm. than they did years ago. So it's, it's harder for people to to get into the real estate game. But that brings up like one other, I guess, way that you can invest in real estate, and that is syndication funds. And syndication deals. Yeah, so those are interesting too. They're super sexy. <laughs> <laughs> well they're they're yeah, I think they, they get some press, especially on Instagram. I follow some some real estate investors and they're talking about syndication deals all the time. But there are good syndication deals or bad syndication deals and and I'll define them real quick. They're basically like like just imagine uh, someone buying an apartment complex. Well it's really hard to do on your own. So you get a group of investors to pool their money together to buy this apartment complex. And then you start you know, paying the, all the, the investors out as you profit from that apartment complex doing well. And so it, it, the, the thing is, typically you have to have big money to get in the game and you have to be an accredited investor, which means a net worth of a million dollars or I think an annual income of like 250K or something like that. So it's hard to even qualify for that, much less save up the 50K that it would take to get in on that one syndication deal. And most people overcomplicating their lives and they're probably getting too real estate heavy in with their investments by partaking in a syndication deal that's unless they have been like maxing out those retirement accounts for years and years and years and still they've got extra money and mm-hmm. they just really want to go down this hole there's also a lot of uh, pitfalls uh, investing in the syndication route we're already seeing some of these syndications go bust a lot of investors losing all their money, that doesn't happen in, in the stock market nearly to the same degree. That's right. Yeah. I think a lot of folks, just they just want to be, be able to refer to themselves as syndicates because uh, <laughs> that has a, a nice ring to it as well. But that is one way that folks could potentially overcomplicate their investing lives. But how do you untie that knot? Uh, what is the simplest and easiest way for you to invest for your future? We will get to that right after this. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. That's why you listen to this podcast. And if you're looking to upgrade your wallet, you need to turn to Nerd Wallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. If you're paying for vacations with whatever card is in your wallet, you could be missing out on miles you didn't even know you were leaving on the table. You can get a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade, lounge access... Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. I'm guessing that a lot of listeners are starting to solidify their summer travel plans. We always like to get the families together, Matt, for a week at the beach every single summer. We've already got that trip to St. Simon's on the calendar. Pumped for that. But sometimes those vacations get expensive. So what better way to offset some of those costs than to have your home earning some money while you're away? That's right. Why let it sit empty when it could be earning extra income? It's the financially smart thing to do. So think it through. Maybe you've got some extra space in your home, or maybe you have an entire house to host. 
Or maybe you're just going on vacation and your home is sitting empty. In every case, you can Airbnb it. You already have the space, so it won't be a huge adjustment. I mean, the way I see it, if you're not using your space, you have two options. You can let it just sit there empty, or you do some optimizing and make some money off it. Really, if you think about it, you already have an Airbnb. You just need to start using it. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. If you're listening to this podcast right now and you're a small business owner, listen up. Upswell Marketing would like to remind you that when customers choose your small business, they're actually choosing you. So focus on super serving your existing customers and let Upswell handle the pipeline generation of new leads and customers. They do everything from hyper-targeting best fit prospects through campaign optimization. Upswell Marketing's unique approach includes direct mail, search engine marketing, and social media ads, and has fueled more than 10,000 small business success stories. Upswell specializes in developing customized direct response campaigns and is now offering a no-obligation free assessment of your current marketing strategies. Not to mention, new customers also receive 15% off their first order when they mention that they heard about Upswell on this podcast. For more information, visit upswellmarketing.com. That's upswellmarketing.com. All right, Matt, let's keep talking about simple investing and some of the ways maybe we try to complicate those investments, uh, some of which might make sense and others which don't make any sense at all. And I don't know, it makes me think about the game of life. You remember that game back in the day? You spin the wheel, you'd like... I never owned it, but I remember playing it. Okay. And and like you you got a different job, which had a different salary. You maybe had a family or maybe you stayed a bachelor. I mean, there's all these different choices you make along the way. It's like the American rat race. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's a negative way to to see it. Yeah. Well, and, and but there were so many different options and the same thing is true in the world of investing like you can go down a bunch of different paths which one makes sense for you might depend on and largely does depend on individual circumstances but i think even still there's a lot of broad-based advice that we can give simplicity is typically in the investing world a better way to go and it just makes me think of like all these super niche platforms that exist now like uh you can invest in farmland you can invest in wine you can invest in whiskey you can invest in Crypto, NFTs. Mm-hmm. And I mean, think about how have NFTs done <laughs> over the past <laughs> eight to 12 months. I mean, uh, I think that first tweet of Jack Dorsey's went for mega dollars and, and oh now gosh. the guy can't even resell it, right? And so- I think he, I think he did resell it, but for- A whole it, lot less? Yeah, for like pennies on the dollar, yeah. unfortunately. Lost a lot. Uh, or fortunately, because like if- <laughs> What we would not have wanted was for things to continue to spiral out of sure. control and continue to. Inflate. But for that person, poor them. Yes, yeah. exactly. <laughs> but like conveniently, we're hearing nothing, nothing about some of those categories these days. Um, but yeah, we actually did a deep dive of some of those different online investing platforms back in episode 446, if you want to go back and listen. And we kind of covered the fees, but also the returns that, that you're likely to get on some of those things. And, and uh, yeah, for most folks, all of these more vibrant, I'll say, ways of investing your money. (laughs) They're just a massive distraction from the tried and true investing methods. That's right. Yeah. If you're not maxing out your Roth IRA, if you're not maxing your 401k, socking away basically $30,000 annually into index funds within those tax advantage accounts, then you shouldn't even be considering any of these alternative platforms where you can invest in whiskey or wine. Uh, Like we were just talking about real estate. And I think that that's the first thing I would push back on somebody who's looking to do that. I would say, have you done all the boring stuff? The low hanging fruit of those two Mm -hmm. accounts. Have you, are you crushing it there? If, if so, we can talk about next steps, but if not, yeah, like real estate probably shouldn't be a consideration. Sure. Yeah. I mean, if you've got money left over and you just love the novelty of it, then like, it's not the worst thing in the world that you could dip your toes into. But most people who are investing in some of these random ways, 
that have popped up in the past few years, um, they're just reducing their meat and potatoes style investing. And that's what we are trying to make sure that folks are yeah. taking care of first in order to funnel dollars into this direction. That's what we don't fo- don't want folks to do. They're getting distracted from the like the bigger prize. Yeah. And honestly, like this is to point out that most of the things that we've talked about aren't necessarily inherently bad investments except for like crypto and nfts (laughs) but like some of these other platforms they're still investments it's not like they're mlms or anything like that where you're totally going to get scammed it's just that there are other priorities that we want you to focus on first if the alternative is to mindlessly blow that money is to mindlessly consume then i might even say okay well maybe yeah maybe you should invest in this platform if that's if that keeps you from blowing money that you otherwise would have invested i think maybe in that scenario it it could actually make sense but we just want to make sure that you are eating your veggies your meat and potatoes first before you start focusing on the exotic desserts off to the side i think that's a good way of putting it it's not that these things are inherently bad although maybe nfts are but yeah but like (laughs) nfts and crypto yeah yet to be determined some of these sites like i don't mind that they're existing yeah, it's, yeah, it's, exactly. It's just that they are for investors who are doing the right thing with a ton of their income before even thinking about crossing the threshold into investing in some of the random things you can invest in now online. And let's talk about hiring an advisor for a second, Matt. I think that's something that the people might think that is either going to help them uncomplicate their finances, or they think it might bring more complication, but they think it, it might bring some necessary complication to their life. And it's not that we think that hiring a human is a bad idea, right? That that a financial advisor can't steer you in the right direction, we can't like, give you good advice. We like humans. We like people. Mostly. It's not all about the AI. Uh, We're not doubling down. (laughs) Right. If human advisors were less expensive, I think it can make sense for more people. But for everyday folks, again, I think uh, the, the hiring an advisor question, that pursuit can be a deviation from what they should really be focused on mm-hmm. focusing on if you're barely snagging the match in your 401k you just don't need to spend hundreds or thousands of dollars to get advice from a professional that's something that you can do before you talk to a professional right right it would be it would be so much better to funnel that money into those accounts more money into those accounts to grow for your future i think an advisor makes sense for some folks whose situation is getting more complicated but even then we want folks to only consider fee only financial planners xy planning network is probably the best site out there to find yeah. one of those but uh, i think people like they, they start to learn about money and they're like oh it must be time to hire the advisor i need a guy yeah i need and a girl the, the truth is you probably don't unless you're crushing it you've been crushing it for years on end yeah and i would say based on the fact that you if you are hearing us say this it means you're listening to the podcast which means like that tells me that i think you are the kind of person who's going to proactively take charge of your finances and i think that that's a good thing because what we don't want are folks to just by default thinking like basically i I don't want you to be like me when i got my first real job and started earning money i don't know if i've ever actually talked about this on the show new podcast slogan don't Don't be like like matt (laughs) (laughs) but i went down i I was like oh man i'm earning real money now i'm gonna go talk to this uh edward jones guy and so i walked (laughs) down to walked down you know or drove down the street and went in there and started talking to him but even at that point i realized this seems pretty expensive and I think I can do what you're talking about with, <laughs> without paying you. And I actually just looked this up because I was curious what it is that they charge. On the first $250,000, they charge 1.35%. Wow. That is expensive, man. And especially for somebody who is just getting started with their investing, that is not 
a fee that they need to be they need to be paying. Uh, but so one of the ways around hiring an actual person are is AI. <laughs> it is the uh, all the robo advisors out there, uh, and some folks would say that you know this is a happy medium for a lot of folks. But are those a good choice? And what would make someone opt to go in that direction? And this is the the second time we've referenced Monday's episode, but we talked about the tax lost harvesting abilities of a robo advisor like Betterment, which we would say it's, it's probably one of the best ones out there. Uh, it might be the best of the bunch within the robo advising category. Uh, and this is largely because of the like the behavioral finance elements that they've built into the service uh, where they're able to help folks to stay the course. Yeah, it's and not so, like they offer superior fund choices or anything like that. There's it, no there's no secret sauce. Right. It's it's those kind of advisory elements that they well they help you keep stay the course which is really important that's one of the best things an advisor can do right yeah and well then they actually do have advisors and so like their fees range from like 0.25% for kind of like their standard digital plan but if you pay a little bit more 0.4% which I don't like seeing, but <laughs> with that premium service, you get access to professional financial planners, actual CFPs, which can go a long way when it comes to you know planning out your which, finances. When, when you think about it, when you compare it to something like Edward Jones that you just mentioned, that's a third of the price. Yes. <laughs> Edward Jones, You're shaving so. an entire point. Yeah. Uh, or, 100 points, a full percentage yeah. point. <laughs> it seems like seems like a pretty good deal. Uh, yes. What do you think about it on those terms? Yeah, you're paying a little more, certainly for a robo-advisor robo than if you were to be doing it yourself. But it's still pretty inexpensive compared to hiring a traditional human advisor. And no hate to all those Edward Jones folks out there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I'm uh, some people want that i guess but like that's not our jam and that's not what we, we recommend people yeah it's a different yeah it's a different service and some folks kind of want that assistance they yeah. want to sit down in person you know do, going through that whole thing and i think a comp- if you're going to go the robo advisor direction like i don't know i think betterments yeah is one of the best and and that combo of human advice with the kind of robo platform helping you uh, on the tax front and on the advice front i think it's pretty cool and it you know, for some people, it's worth paying the extra money. But let's talk about, Matt, just kind of some some guidelines, some basics when we talk about simplification of investing and how overcomplicating things. And of course, there are a million ways that you can complicate your investing strategy, but we really believe that it doesn't need to be, it shouldn't have to be, and it shouldn't be terribly complicated. <laughs> and I think the the more complicated you make it, the less likely people are to partake in that action, right? Mm-hmm. When you when you say there's 10 hoops to jump through, people are going to just walk away uh, before they start. When the belief is that investing is hard, a lot of folks decide to skip out altogether. And so uh, that does so much more harm than maybe not having quite enough international exposure or missing <laughs> out on some years where real estate had super good returns, something like that. Doing the thing even doing it imperfectly and doing it regularly is the key. It comes down to the crux of the matter is don't let perfect be the enemy of good. If you're trying to, you're just starting out and you're like, I want to invest the exact right way, the the perfect way for future returns and, and the perfect way so that I stay the course. I mean, I think my advice would be get started and then continue learning and you can iterate over time if you want, but uh, simplicity is better than perfection. So this, this kind of makes me think of why I don't necessarily like talking about my budget and the fact that we've made it available, which I guess I'm doing that by even sharing this example. Uh, but the reason I don't necessarily like pushing it out there for folks is because it's it's too complicated for most folks. It's not something that, especially if you've never budgeted before, it's not. This shouldn't be the, your first step towards tracking your expenses and and budgeting for the month. And so, in, in a similar way, we want folks to be successful 
rather than you know having every all the i's dotted all the t's crossed and everything's perfect where you end up kind of you know falling off the wagon and so we want folks to opt for what we would call a minimalist portfolio We've always said that a total stock market or an S&P 500 fund, it gets folks who are in the wealth building phase of their lives basically what it is that they need without overthinking it. And target date funds, they are another great set it and forget it approach for money that you're stocking away inside of your retirement accounts. And so it's not that you can't diversify further, you know, if you wanted to say add some a little more uh, real estate exposure via a REIT. If you want to do that, that's great. You do you. It's just that the minimalist route investing within a single fund or maybe two that are already well diversified. This is an effective strategy that will get you where it is that you want to be. Yeah, man. I love that. I, I, I like the idea of just keeping it as simple as possible, keeping it minimalist, and then doing the right thing over and over, right? And so the next thing we'd, we'd mention is to have that plan and then stick to it because the best plan is something that you can stick to. And uh, it's it's easy to make complicated plans, and then it, but it's easier to break those plans too. Right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> because you're like, wait a second, I got to step three. There's 30 more steps. Uh, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to bow out right now. And that's what makes, like, uh, makes me think of the app Couch to 5K. Heard someone talking about that recently and how it changed their life. They were nervous to start running. But with that app, it specifically, it like slowly changes the amount of time where you're running and walking nice. so that you don't feel overwhelmed after two days of, you're like, it, if you try to go run a 5K and you've been like, haven't run at all in years, good luck, right? Yeah. You're probably going to get demoralized. But if you take this couch to 5K route and you try to build up over, I don't know, the course of something like three months, you are in all likelihood gonna run an awesome 5k and like a recipe for success heck you might even keep going go 10k pretty soon right (laughs) um but yeah so the the same is true with your investments the most important thing is shoveling money into those retirement accounts consistently getting those dollars invested in a diversified manner so come up with a plan and hopefully that plan is minimalist in nature and then stick to it do it regularly do it religiously that's where dollar cost averaging comes in right if you just kind of keep doing it with every paycheck then without uh, overthinking without overthinking it you're going to be ahead, vastly ahead of the majority of your peers on the investing front. Yeah. And so you you said kind of shoveling money into those accounts, which makes me think of the fact that especially early on when you are just getting started with your investing, when you see fluctuations in the market, and especially like we've seen over the past uh, several weeks, we've seen a booming market. Mm -hmm. If you are just getting started with your investments, you're not going to see much change when it comes to the size of your portfolio because you're just getting started. Truly, what has the biggest impact, what moves the needle the most is your savings rate and how much money you are able to sock away uh, versus... You know, like we've been investing for like 10, 15, like coming up on 20 years and we've got bigger nest eggs. That's how old bottom line (laughs) than when we started investing 15, 20 years ago. Yeah. And now when the market goes up, it's a little more fun, right? Like it's a little more fun to see the balances increase a little bit when you check it at the end of the month. But that would not have happened if we weren't sacrificing, cutting back on expenses, finding ways to invest more while we, we were younger. But basically, you kind of have to like pay your dues <laughs> a little bit. And once that nest egg gets to be a certain size, well, market fluctuations and a growing market, that's when you get to see the beauty of the compound uh, of compounding returns. Because yeah. compounding returns and, and interest doesn't make a, a huge dent in those early years. Uh, on the back end is when you start to see that. You can totally split hairs about how much money you've got allocated to international, how much... Uh, 
exposure you have to real estate, whether or not you're investing in vintage wines, <laughs> whatever. I mean, you can split hairs over all that stuff and what the exact right percentage is for every single thing. Do I need more small cap value in my portfolio? Blah, de, blah, de, blah. And it's not that those conversations are completely worthless, but you're right. Like the, the biggest change that we can make most easily that comes with the less stress and the most likelihood of follow through is to keep it simple and to just ramp up the percentage that we're, uh, that we're dedicating each and every month, each and every paycheck to those accounts. Like that is the spigot that we can turn on the most that's going to uh, lead to the largest growth in nest egg. You can try to get that perfect allocation, create the most diverse investment account possible. But the reality is then you're probably not quite as focused on that more important lever. And ultimately, yeah, you, you might have the most diverse portfolio on earth, but or you're the, the perfectly diverse. Portfolio. Yeah. But you're, <laughs> but you're missing out then on the most important thing. It's kind of like what we talked about back in, uh, not too long ago with frugality, how it has diminishing ret- returns. Same thing. People, yep. if you're so focused on frugality, you're probably not going to be as, as thoughtful about ramping up your income. And this is true too. I think the more you think about how your portfolio is allocated, Boom. You, 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 you've lost the plot and you're focused too much on the little things you're majoring on the minors. That's right. Yeah. And then, and finally, too, I mean, so what, one of the reasons we're talking about this today is because of the timeliness of it, right? So as the market is booming and we've seen some you know fluctuation recently, uh, but folks, it becomes something that folks want to talk about more. And what we want to encourage you to do is like once you do have this plan, you've heard us talk through, hey, maybe you should just be looking at a total stock market index fund or an S&P 500 index fund or maybe a target date fund. Mm-hmm. Once you have that plan, ignore everything else. We want you to put the blinders on. We want you to limit the noise, especially when it comes to the different headlines that you read. But when the market is tanking, folks are like you batten down the hatches, right? Like you are not interested in taking some of these risks. But like you were saying earlier, Joel, when things are booming, everybody feels brilliant. Everybody feels rich. And they're thinking, oh, well, what else can I do <laughs> in order to, to to make this ride last even longer, basically? And we that is the opposite of what you actually should be doing. And so while everyone else is out there figuring out different ways that they can invest in the, the latest sexy thing, like and who knows what the next iteration of distracting investment opportunities are going to come down the pike, Mm -hmm. (laughs) right? Like they'll come. They, oh, they absolutely will, but they are not things that you need to be paying attention to. And so, yeah, we wanted to talk about the different ways that you can simplify how it is that you invest. And truly it does not need to be all that complicated. Agreed. And simple doesn't mean unsophisticated, right? Simple can still be diverse and it can it can give you exactly what you need without, yeah, if, without overthinking. If you think the S&P 500 index fund or the total stock market index fund is unsophisticated, <laughs> log into right. all of the different companies that make up sure. that, uh, that that fund is cons- consists of. And, and That'll go help back, you to, to see. <laughs> and go back and listen maybe to our episode with Robin Wigglesworth about his book Trillions and how Jack Bogle kind of really started the, the index fund yeah. movement. And mm-hmm. it's been a powerful one. So yeah, the, it's investing is the one thing where the more effort you put in, the the worse your returns get typically. Exactly. So simplicity makes a whole lot of sense. Yeah, we'll link to that that interview as well. Yeah. All right, Matt, let's mention, uh, let's get back to the beer we had. This one is called Symptom of Progeny. It's a golden sour ale fermented with spontaneous culture. What were your thoughts on this one? Uh, I really like it. What do you think about it? I really like it. <laughs> so, I, I'll say it's like brightly tart. It's got... Uh, it's real crisp. I know there's no fruit in this. It's got peach fuzz elements. Oh, though. yeah? Oh, big time. Dude. So, truly, 
I was curious because we've been drinking some really big, really sweet stouts from Burial recently. And because of that, this one almost seems like a touch too tart. But I think it's because of all the sweet beers that we've been drinking. Like this, it's still such a bright, crisp, refreshing, perfectly aged, perfectly oaky golden ale. It's exactly what I want out of a golden, golden ale. And it's, there's, I mean... There's a good reason why Kate and I, I mean, we picked up several bottles of this to bring back home to enjoy because we certainly enjoyed this one. Yeah, it just makes me think Burial does some of the best beers in every genre. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, before we were talking about just how they're crushing it. They crush it with their uh, their New England hazies and obviously their stouts that we've been enjoying recently. But yes, a bar- this is a barrel-aged sour. Like, what, do they make bad beers? I don't think they so. not completely knock out of the park? Yeah. For sure. All right, that's going to do it for this episode. You can find links to some of the stuff we mentioned uh, up on the show notes at our website, howtomoney.com. And of course, you can sign up for our How to Money newsletter. One came out just yesterday. You missed it. But you'll make the next one if you go sign up at howtomoney.com slash newsletter. Or you didn't miss it because you're one of the the select few. You're one of the chosen. (laughs) No, it's growing. It's a growing list. There's a lot of people on there. But we just want... We're not selective. Everybody to get... Anybody and everybody. (laughs) The free glory that is the How to Money newsletter. But that's right, man. All All right. right. So that's going to be it for this one. Until next time. Best friends out. Best friends out. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin, And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.